The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home and the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode, I am joined by my friends, Louise and Phil. On this two-part episode, Louise and Phil will share their conversion stories, which eventually landed their families in a Catholic mission situation. And these two Australian Catholics will join me in discussing some practical ways by which we establish and maintain truly Catholic homes without access to a church nor parish school. Given this is the first show that I'm hosting for Restoration Radio, I better provide a brief overview about myself. I am a cradle traditional Catholic, married to another cradle traditional Catholic. We have been blessed so far with 10 children, the eldest is 21, and our baby recently turned two. Before we married at the ripe old age of 22, my husband and I both held the Sede Cantus conviction, but were still assisting at Recognize and Resist Masses, also known as the R&R. Shortly afterwards, for a number of reasons, we ceased attendance at such churches. We have always homeschooled our children, and in brief, our Catholic home thrives on the foundational principle of Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his justice, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, it is my honour to introduce Phil, whose family also made their exodus from the R&R establishment. Being in the throes of transitioning from that structure and its unique subculture to a whole different scene without a church nor associated school not that long ago, I'm sure much of the adjustment strategies are still fresh in his mind. Hello, Phil. Welcome to the Catholic Home. It's a pleasure, Teresa. Thanks for having me. Uh, you forgot to mention that this show is coming to you. From down under in Australia. That's right. I'm sure everyone's getting pictures of kangaroos bouncing around outside and pet koalas coming in from the outback. Yeah, we're so, trying to keep our pet koala outside and quiet at the moment. So, so g'day from Australia. <laughs> Thank you, Phil, for setting aside the time to contribute to today's discussion. Uh, can you please tell us a little about yourself? Well, yeah, sure. I'm married with four children. Our oldest child is 13 and our youngest is seven. I'm a uh, senior manager in uh, sort of like public office, if you like, and uh, we live in a small country town in Australia with about 15,000 people. We moved there to be closer to the Mass with the Society of St Pius X and to send our children to a traditional Catholic school until that is about four years ago or so when it became really untenable for us to attend anymore. Now we homeschool and attend Mass every month. That's great. And also joining us today is the valiant woman Louise, our guest with the youngest children out of the three of us, who in many ways is just starting off, yet still has much to share for other mothers in similar situations, who are also in the early days of starting to build their little Catholic societies in the home in order to raise saints to God. Welcome, Louise, and thank you for participating in this all-Aussie episode of How to Survive and Not Only Survive but Prodigiously Thrive in a missionary outpost. Thanks, Teresa. I'm happy to be here. And we're happy you're here. Louise, 
now we've heard a little bit about Phil, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? So your eldest child is only seven, right? That's correct. I've got a lovely seven-year-old girl and children following on down from there, five, four, three, and a one-year-old. So a lot of fun at our house. And that's five children under eight years old, if you didn't get that. So that is amazing. And as we say here in Australia, we take up our Kubra hat to you. (laughs) You must be super organised. Well, I wouldn't say super organised. I try to be, uh, I try to improve every day, but it's actually not too bad at the moment. The eldest ones are starting to help out around the home and the littlest ones are being very good at being cute and funny all day. So it's fine at our house. It's all up and up from here. Yes. Phil, would you mind starting off by sharing your story as to how you became a Catholic? Sure, Teresa. Well, look, as a child I was raised uh, in a very strict Protestant sort of religion, more of a cult than a religion. It had no church, no name really. We used to have prayer meetings in the home. Everyone kind of thought we were weirdos or so I felt as a kid. You probably were. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I couldn't really wait to get away from it all as a teenager. And my wife was raised as an Anglican and she attended Sunday school as a kid, but I think that was the extent of her childhood religion. When I became an adult, I really wasn't religious at all. I almost had a a loathing of religion from my upbringing. Still had a strong belief in God, I would say, but a a resentment of religion. So I went off and joined the military and um, I was deployed on operational service at uh, one stage there in the early 90s. Um, And before going overseas, I remember attending a Baptist service with a friend of mine at the time, um, of course, you know what they say, there's no atheists in foxholes. And when you're going overseas um, in the military, you kind of you tend to start thinking about your future. So that was kind of very short-lived. I think I went to one uh, Baptist church and, and um, that was also a little bit weird. Everyone's clapping their hands and so forth. So in the uh, in the army, though, I, I'd, I'd met a good friend who uh, later turned out to be your husband, Teresa. Oh. And we used to play um, music together and uh, formed a quite a good friendship. Actually, and you've known him longer than I have. I have, absolutely. <laughs> so we used to have fairly long religious discussions, uh, pretty much kicked off by when I discovered that he was Catholic, I condemned him, saying that he was um, worshipping the Pope and worshipping Mary and and really wasn't, you know, godlike at all. And my notion of raised as a Protestant of what a Catholic was, I still had those sort of deep-held Protestant notions of what I thought the Catholic was. He quickly put me back in my box, my much-needed box, <laughs> and made short change of my lack of knowledge of the Catholic faith. Lesson one, learned from St Pius X, who says that all Catholics should know their faith. I realised what a, what a judgmental freak I'd been. Anyway, we spent hours talking about the saints and what Catholicism was, often postponing our our planned music rehearsals for talking to the wee hours about the incorruptible saints or Fatima. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was all fascinating to me. By this stage, I'd met and married my wife, and she used to also join in some of those conversations. He gave me a few books to read and told me to just just pray. I remember him saying to me, because I used to ask him about prayer and, and, you know, what do I say? And he just says, look up and say, God, what would you have me do? And I used to do that every night. And at this time I was seriously considering it, but something was sort of holding me back. In the end, though, um, the thought I kept coming back to was simple. There are many different Protestant religions, so-called Christian religions, and they all teach something different, but all had one thing in common. 
They were united in their hatred or despise the Catholic Church. That's interesting insight. Yeah, so now yeah. God doesn't change and he's only one way of being worshipped, one law. Um, so which one is the right one? Either none of them are right, in which case God doesn't exist, or only one of them right is right. And there's only one that has was bold enough, had the sort of fortitude and the, the, the front, if you like, to say the it is the one true apostolic faith. And interestingly enough, when you want to join the Catholic Church, actually stop you and say, hang on, you've got to know even than we know and believe it. Mm. Whereas the Protestants say, come on in. <laughs> the more the merrier. The more the It's a numbers game for them. Anyway, so that was the, the kind of unique thing that um, came back to me with uh, about Catholicism and that sort of held a certain posture for me. And uh, that bold statement sort of tweaked my interest about being the one true apostolic faith. At first I wanted to prove uh, him wrong, your husband, but everything that I learned just seemed to fit together into a complete picture. Every, the more I learned, the more it made sense. And, uh, of course, that is right because God is perfect, so his religion will be perfect. And it's the truth. Absolutely. No so contradiction. We have a, 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 um, an overwhelming, you know, sort of implanted desire to know the truth. So that was what, was right. really working, what God was working in me. In the end, my buddy hit me with an ultimatum. Are you going to become a Catholic or not? <laughs> it wasn't like him to be uh, shy backwards and come no, forwards. No, it's not him. It's about time you made a decision. So he was absolutely right. I couldn't deny the truth. I, I can't say I wanted to be a Catholic in in the sense of, you know, a lightning bolt and it was all emotional. I mean, it's, it's obviously the harder road, not the easy road, and I was leading a pretty easy life. But I just knew it was the truth and I couldn't deny it. So becoming a Catholic, I did. I received instruction from a St. Evacantus priest and was baptised at the age of 27. And that was a little while ago now. At the time, I told my wife, because she'd been part of some of the conversations, but she was a bit shocked. I suppose she thought I would have talked it over with her first before I made that decision and we maybe all could have made it together. But um, I hadn't even thought about whether she wanted to become a Catholic and really didn't think about complicated things like whether it was a mixed marriage or not. So I suppose I was just doing what men do sometimes and keep things to myself until I'd figured it out. So I was going to Mass. She attended my baptism um, that was, of course, not a Catholic and I didn't really think she was considering being a Catholic. But she went to Mass with me. We moved into St. shortly after I, I became a Catholic and um, and it wasn't long after that that she converted too. So it was only about six months between our conversions. In the new state, we went to uh, an SSVX mass centre and I understood the difference between traditional Catholics and Novus Ordo. That made sense to me. I didn't really get what a state of Acantus was at the time, though. I just thought a state of Acantus was a traditional Catholic, really, and really yeah. didn't see the difference between a state of Acantus against the Society of St. Pius X. Well, you were brought you amongst all of us. Yeah. And I recall many conversations because we've talked to various people, mostly his friends, yeah. uh, about the faith. And what I was really impressed with, and my husband as well, is you questioned everything. You would ask us to prove this and you would say, where in the Bible has this happened? This, And we'd send you off with homework and you would do it. And you'd come back and you'd realise, yep, the Catholic Church has that right. And mm. you, because you knew the Bible very well because mm. of your background. Yeah, that's right. One of the things which was a, 
stumbling block initially for you was the scandalous, what you thought was the Pope at the time. And so when we explained to you, well, actually, we've got news for you. This is another aspect of apologetics which has come into play in Mm -hmm. our era. It's like, well, there's like a PS postscript here, uh, he's not the Pope. But that was what you needed because you right. couldn't reconcile the the papacy with the claimant. Exactly right. And so you, you just assumed that traditional Catholicism <laughs> meant that and then your wife would have just sort of come in, she was just involved, mm. and that's probably why you didn't include her because you actually started your journey before you were married. Mm. I mm. do remember those yeah. conversations. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Previously, it was a long journey too. Yeah, and I, I'm a bit stubborn, you know. So yeah, um, but the truth was, got you in the end. Yeah, it, it, it certainly did. did. The and, hound and of it, heaven got you. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. God used my kind of desire, if you like, for the truth, and to make sure it was right. You know, oh. and, um, you questioned and, everything. Yeah, we a, had another friend who converted, and his was very different. He was just like did a little bit of catechism, just said, "Yeah, if this is a truth, mm-hmm. I better join." And my wife was like that. She started saying, I fumbled my way through at the start, really. Uh, but she joined me in a rosary and sort of we both really only barely knew what we were doing. And uh, she came to Mass with me. And her first high Mass, her first sung Mass with the choir and oh, the yes. bells and smells, it was just completely beautiful. She just said, oh, that was so beautiful. She said, I, just want I mean, to it is. Oh, yeah, it is, of course. I just want to be a Catholic. That was it. Jeez. It was. It yeah. was. She was the proverbial lightning bolt. It's interesting yeah. because in our times where people's intellects are so darkened by naturalism and yeah. and materialism, and also because we've been thwarted in our way of thinking through the educational system and just as a dumbing down of yeah, our culture. Sometimes the only way you can actually penetrate to the truth to someone is through beauty. It's actually mm. one of the attributes of God and of obviously his true church that it appeals directly to your soul. Mm. So that was, she was like God spoke to her through beauty. Mm. And I Music think that's is, wonderful. Yes. Music is the language of the soul, they say. So mm. when she heard that Gregorian chant. Yes. Mm. And the beautiful music and the true liturgy. Mm. And because the vestments, the flowers, I, I think it was um, epiphany when we started going um, New Year's, you know, Christmas. When we started going to the Society Mass Centre, and um, so that was all very beautiful, lots of flowers, and and and, and then of course we did the Lent. But by that stage, she was ready to be Catholic, and she desired to be. So over the Lenten period, she received her um, instruction catechism. Right. So she did what the church traditionally does, where you get the yeah. adult um, catechumens get received in the church on she, Holy Saturday. She was baptised at midnight mass. On wow, that's great. And it's interesting because your baptism took place before you moved across the That's country right. and was just in a hall with the with the American set of accountants priests who'd yeah, come out. Yeah. And I actually remember your baptism well because Damien and I were as godparents and I gee, you were heavy trying to carry you to that font. <laughs> Honestly, you're so heavy. Just kidding. But yeah, that was amazing. And Maria did come that day, even though she wasn't looking into the faith and she was supportive. And I think it yeah. did have an impression on her. She was emotionally touched by yeah. the whole thing that day. Yeah, I remember right. that. Yeah. So, although you were received into the church by a set of accountants priests amidst our set of accountants group, how did you end up attending an RNR church? Well, that was really on the advice of the. Um, 
the priest that baptized me. Um, he felt it was more important that I receive the sacraments than sort of not attend Mass. And I think there was, a, there was some logic in that. Very soon after baptism, I was sort of let loose in the wilderness. You know, I moved from one side of the country to the other, and I had no real support network. And um, so even now I don't agree with the r position. It was in his plan to sort of set me up, so to speak, as a Catholic. And, yeah. it, and it did it did do that. It did get me into the routine of, you know, what is the liturgy, what is the, the liturgical year, and going through that routine that is essential to understanding Catholicism. And attending the SSVX, therefore, Mass, sorry, uh, helped in my sort of Catholic elementary school, so oh, to speak. Okay. You know? I guess but it was I, tough because you got baptised one day, literally, but virtually the next day you were flown across yes. out of the whole support group that you'd had. Yeah, I had, I had literally two masses and then I... Yeah, moved. so that would have been tough. Yeah. And, and I guess there's more information out now, this is quite a number of years later, mm. as to dangers of the r and camp. Absolutely. And at the time, a lot of the, you know, the set of accountants priests weren't aware of just how dangerous it can be. So he was obviously trying to look after you in the way he thought was best. That's right. But I doubt they would recommend that now. Don't know. um, Yeah. But I I, I know that the Society of St. Vice the 10th, the R&R movement, has changed a lot. Yes. Even since then. As I go through a bit of my story and how it can be to become, you know, sort of a full... (laughs) Fledged. Really fully fledged, um, not going to the R and R mass, and and, uh, and the position we're in now, it, it was is very different now. Even though I was going to the R and R mass, I pretty much held sort of sort of a kind of spew. Oh, you were one of those closet say days <laughs> all the way along. You know, uh, a real dismay at the changes in the church, and knowing that all of the I call them nopes since uh, Vatican II yeah. compromised the uncompromisable faith that I'd converted to, you know. Yeah. I used to have pretty long phone calls, as you would probably recall, because you guys moved a few years after me yeah. to the same part of the country, but you were back there for a while. So I used to have pretty long phone calls with Damien at the time about the state of a kind of position, and I really agree with it, but it was in sort of this denial about seeing society as a compromised position. What I should have known was how can someone believe he's the Pope and then disobey him, yet they all the time had pictures of the Pope up in there. Yeah, but in your defence, you have to bear in mind you were a baby in the faith. That's right, yeah. You really were just still learning because when you go through all your catechism and you get received into the church, that's just the beginning. It's all new, yeah. It's the beginning. You hardly know anything. So it's understandable that you wouldn't really have grasped all that at that point. It was kind of the expectation that the honeymoon would finish at some point, but um, I was very much in, a, in, in that kind of yes. elementary school. Or, or, yes, or, and that the picture of the of the pseudo pope in mm. the vestibule or whatever they do did that did it bother you or did, it, what did you think about? Well, it or I just didn't notice. I suspect it? I was probably in denial. Um, okay, and, and over time I found our rhetoric was changing a bit too. The things we were saying to my wife and I were saying to ourselves was, um, you know, much along the lines of what the SSBX says. So yes. I, I think deep down I feared the loss of the sacraments. Yeah, and that's um, a big push in that it group. Is, yeah. yeah, it's a big push. Kind of, um, Which is understandable because we yeah. do need them. 
Especially but, when you're a new Catholic. So yes, it's really, really but they interesting. focus on the validity only and just honing yeah. on being valid. But the licitness or lyseity aspect is neglected totally. Yeah, And correct. it's true. We do need the sacraments, but we don't need the sacraments in such a compromising situation. Yeah. But yeah. I was in this, in this sort of fear of the loss of sacraments, almost equaling fear of the loss of my faith. Yeah. And... Of course, I was completely wrong. It was the opposite. There's a lack of confidence in God that yeah. that was really an expression have, of. Well, you didn't know. You didn't <clears throat> trust in God yeah. and God will provide. Yeah, correct. So we settled into a routine of married life. We had you know, four children, um, sent them to the SSVX school when they were old enough. Our faith and prayer life, though, became quite routine and mundane, you know. We, mm. The honeymoon sort of slipped away. Yes. And we were out of it and we didn't really know really morphed into uh, sort of Sunday Catholics being hand-fed. Only occasionally we said the rosary. We weren't instructing our kids in the faith, leaving that to the school, sort of like outsourcing the education of our children. Failure to kind of live our faith was coming out in their behaviour too. You could start to see some of these little rebellious things. Yes, plus the influence of the other children in that school whose parents have also done the same thing where they've just sort of subcontracted the catechising and the discipline and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And you can't do that as a parent, and no. especially not in our day and age. So they're going to be influencing your children as well. Spot on, yeah. So, it, so it makes sense. So, you know, all this time the Pope's picture up in the school, the Pope's picture's up in the... Um, I have anti-Pope. The anti-Pope, the pseudo-Pope. Yes. Uh, I like to call him Note Frank. Note, yeah. I think it was <laughs> Note JP2 back then, wasn't JP2, it? JP2, then um, yeah. Benedict for Oh, a that's while. right, yeah. yeah. But as I said before, both my wife and I used to sort of say the things like, you can't judge the Pope. I didn't really kind of believe that. I just thought, oh, yeah, yeah. Just sort of left it in the too hard basket in the back of my yeah. mind. Yeah, lots of people do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it, you're right. That's it, it's quite it, confronting, you know. It, it has been difficult to get all the information until fairly recently, I think, when the internet has more taken off. Yes, they yes. Think Early in the crisis of the church, people just didn't have access to them. It is difficult to figure out. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, our Lord said, by their fruits you will know them, which gives you an indication that, you know. When all else fails, if you can't work this out and you haven't got all theology at hand, look at the fruits. Look at the fruits. Yes. That's right. So I find my, found myself sort of rote parroting this. Um, you can't do without the sacraments. You can't. Yes. You know, you can't not attend church. You can't You can't judge the Pope, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's kind of where we found ourselves. Oh, so, Phil, tell us how you eventually came to, like, the fullness of the Sadie Vicantus truth officially. Well, it was a scandal that rocked me, really. I suppose, you know, most people would look at it as maybe a, a rather large event, but not that scandalous. But because I've got this sort of nervous, uh, sorry, how dare I say that? <laughs> Shame on <laughs> you, back, back. <laughs> this sort of a Cantus, um sort of position in the back of my mind. It was sort yes. of there in the two hard basket. We went to Mass one day and... The priest at the time stood up before the sermon to make an announcement that one of the society priests had moved across to the Novus Ordo. And I was waiting for the condemnation. I mean, this the Novus Ordo were the shared enemy of traditional Catholics. And I, I kind of had this, this notion that the society and, say, the Cantus were kind of on the same team. 
Yes. We're both traditional. We're trying to stand up to modernism. Against them. Against them. Yeah, the mutual enemy. That's right. Yes. The, the, the modernists, the, the forces of nature, the Freemasons have, yeah. have infiltrated the church. And and he says they've trans, he's transferred to the diocese and, and we wish him well for the future. That just shook oh me to the core. Oh, gosh. Um, and, and I couldn't believe it. I don't remember what the sermon said, of course, because wow. I just kept thinking, But you'd be thinking, gosh. why does this particular society even exist if it makes no difference whether you're in that group or whether you're in the diocese. Yeah, exactly right. Well, official, not really the diocese, but the Nova Sordo structure. Mm. That's just, it just underlines the whole whole purpose of their existence. I'm just shocked that he said that. Don't get me wrong, I understand this priest's position. I don't agree with it. Yes. Oh, the one that left? The one that left. The one that left. If he believes he's the Pope, then he should submit to him. He should obey him. It is actually more logical on, on that level. That's right. I yeah, don't and, agree and that, that he's yeah, the Pope. Of course not. Yeah. If you do believe he is the Pope, then you should be in the Novus Ordo Mass. And, yeah. and that that then makes that whole recognise and resist position complete compromise, a complete it's a, it's a joke. travesty, you know. And I was just blown away. And so I, I kept uh, driving home with just my, my wife and I were talking about it. And that's really, it was the lack of condemnation that scandalised me to the point of saying, uh, I can't go here anymore, enough's enough. So therefore, my wife and I discussed it and we just really formed the view that we couldn't attend Mass anymore. We couldn't go, couldn't, you know, we couldn't have any part of this. Because you both had sort of officially realised that there's a Sede and yeah. this particular mass is it's just a compromise it's a compromise yes, yes. it's not the truth it, yes. it is just a, a breach of so the, the, tr- the penny uh, the penny dropped the penny dropped in yeah both of so at this time though not only were you attending sunday masses there but you had three of your four children enrolled in attending that sspx school so what did your family decide to do insofar as the mass attendance that was expected of the school attendees, so your children? on Because I know that it's one school day per week, each class has to go into mass, don't they? Absolutely. So what did you do? So it was the Sunday. So we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to stop them. Well, we'll leave them at the school for now, but we'll just tell the priests so we don't want them attending mass. And we thought that would be an easy solution until we find a new school for them. Straightforward. Um, pretty straightforward. So we rang the school and um, put in three or four phone calls on the Monday and no return call. It's getting desperate. The mass was on the Tuesday and there's no way known. I was oh, allowing okay. my children to, to go to the mass. So we wrote in the diary that night, do not allow my children to attend mass today. I immediately, like, Almost immediately, got a phone call from the principal of the, of the primary school. It was a it was a priest, and um, he refused refused to on what grounds allow saying, "Well, everyone must attend mass." It's a condition of going to to the school. What about all the non Catholics? Exactly my question. There. I said, "Do you have non Catholics there? What, what, what goes on with them?" Well, they they're required to attend mass as well. Uh, you know, every day. And I okay. said, "What even Sunday?" Yes. Oh, <laughs> and I was. <laughs> Did was, you ever see any of these people on the Sunday, the non-Catholic? Not. Of course not. No. So he refused to let the kids attend that. Refused yeah. for them not to attend. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry, yeah. To, to not let the, the, uh, the kids go to Mass. Oh, so they have there. total control of your children now. Yeah. Well, they're trying to. You know, nevertheless, um, we, we got them out of the school. 
at one stage during during that, they said why. Of course, asked me the natural question why, and I said, well, we formed a view that um, we cannot, I can't allow my children or ask to attend a mass which is in communion with the heretic. And um, how did oh, that go over, Phil? Well, the response was, and I'll quote it now. Obviously, you've become a Sadovacantist Protestant, have you? I laughed. It's absurd. And then there was this this um, whole rhetoric about why don't you come and talk to me about it? Well, I've heard your your discussions about the state of Akantis position. In fact, you're more passionate about the state of Akantism than you are, than you are about modernism. That's true. And um, and he he said, "How could you do this to me? <laughs> do you really, father?" Uh, <laughs> It's not about you, Father. Yeah. And um, and so it was a very interesting conversation. I'll remember it probably till you know to the day I die. Actually, before my husband and I quit the R and R masses, which was around eighteen years ago, we knew there was an anti-Sedevicantist element to that group at that time. However, what we were totally unprepared for was the backlash starting the first Sunday that we didn't attend. Mm. That was we were taken aback. But so my question for you, Phil, is. Was this anti-Sede element still present at this much later stage when you left? Were you aware that you might suffer some backlash upon leaving? And, in fact, did you actually get any negative reactions from any of the laity? Separate to the priests, obviously that was negative, but did you get any from the laity? Yeah, look, uh, I can't say it was exactly a backlash. I mean, we, we knew some people there, but there is an element of clickiness in some of the people, the parish, we weren't sort of involved in but some of the people we knew were concerned you know um question why we weren't going and you know how can you sort of do this but they were reasonably charitable about it and we sort of just let them know in clear but polite terms that this was our business and no one else's um many we haven't seen since of course you pretty much know who your friends are we don't blame them i I think there is this bit of an element of turning your mind in neutral Yes. Not questioning. Is that relying, perhaps relying on the other people in the parish to bolster your position because the position's not founded in truth? That that when someone does leave, then everybody feels it a lot uh, more personally. Yeah. Because you're actually showing the other people in the parish that they're wrong. Yeah. So even though you're not saying it, they always take it personally because it's implicit that you believe they're wrong and people find that very hard to deal with. Well, but, one close friend yeah. we had, uh, he did question me and, and he's still a reasonably good friend. You know, we, we catch up semi-regularly. Um, I just said to him, well, you proved me wrong. Research. And and set the challenge. I haven't heard anything more about that every, anymore. One or two things happens. He does the research and comes to the truth or he doesn't do the research and... Correct. So th- th- there is this stronger anti-Sedevacantist push from the society than anti-Novus Ordo, which is really twisted. Yeah, it's interesting. So at this point, you and your whole family have quit the R&R. Yep. You've decided to homeschool your children, So, which is a big thing. So it's very impressive. So what did you do as far as assisting at Mass and receiving the sacraments from this point? Well, of course, at this stage, you guys um, were, were now in the same side of the country as us, and we we knew you had uh, a visiting priest there and now and then, so it was quite a natural thing. Let's go and yeah. Well, you were fortunate because we already Absolutely. had a set up established yeah, mission, exactly, and right. you could just sort of tap into that, just, which is 
which is straight across, good. and uh, it's only an hour's or well, a little over an hour's drive away. It's not received the sacraments twice a month. Yeah, it's not really an effort. Two or three, sometimes. yeah, two or three, yeah. Yes. So there's a real peace though that you know you, that settles in you that when you know you've made a decision for the truth. Our prayer life is consistent now. Rosary every day, morning and evening prayers, family devotions, stations of the cross often, spiritual reading. Good not, sermons when we good have sermons, mass. absolutely. Yeah. Not saying we're saints by any stretch. Oh, we uh, are. Trying that. hard. <laughs> <laughs> we still struggle with our daily crosses and temptations, as we all do. But the philosophy of seeking first the kingdom of God, as mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier, it's makes things very, very simple. It, and there is a real peace that comes with that. Our faith is a simple one, and we are absolutely certain that it was divine providence that led us here through the journey. We would like to remind you that you are listening to the Catholic Home on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by Louise and Phil. And today we've been discussing Phil's somewhat colourful journey to the true Catholic position. We want to remind you that the Catholic Home is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. Permission can usually be very easily obtained by writing to mail at truerestoration.org. So we'll swap over now to Louise. Please tell us, Louise, a little of your background now and theological travels, as it were. Sure, Teresa. Well, mostly I would say on the whole I was brought up as a lapsed Catholic, although my father was religious and was attending the Novus Ordo Mass. He did die when I was quite young. But after he died, there was no more religion in the home. We didn't have holy pictures. We weren't taught prayers. And I didn't actually know that there were people out there who went to church every Sunday. Oh, that right. That was foreign to me. Were you like the, the C&E Catholics? That's right. Christmas Just and Christmas Easter. and Easter or a funeral. I didn't, I didn't realise people went every single Sunday. So that gives you a bit of an insight. Um, I did attend a Novus Ordo school. And, again, we were taught proper style by the nuns of good, strong feminism. We were taught very little, very little about Catholicism at all. In fact, I had an experience when I went, I was forced to go to some of the school masses. They were very rare, but there was the odd one. And I remember as a child looking at this mass that they took us to, which of course was a modern mass. Which wasn't the true mass. Wasn't the true mass. And I looked at it as a child and I thought, that impiety going on up there, that cannot be the true worship of Almighty God. This this is not it. And wow. I thought when I grow up, I think I'll I'll have a look around and I'll try and find the true mass. Wow. So I had that instinct. That's the Holy Ghost talking to you, little child. Wasn't the right thing. Wow. Sure. So basically what happened is I grew up, um, I wasn't really following uh, any any religion until about 21 when I thought um, I've matured enough to say I better have a think about life and figure out what this is all for and I want to get serious about it because what was being dished up to me by the modern media and things around me was very ugly, to be honest. Well, it's good that you were able to recognise that. Yes. Yeah, so I asked my brother and asked around and eventually somebody managed to pull out a dusty old book and said, oh, I think this is about religion if you're interested to read. And that book was actually a spiritual treasure. It was called This Tremendous Lover by Father Eugene Yes, I love Boyle. that one. And I read that book yes. and I was hooked. I thought, this is it. This is what I want, the faith that is in this book. And I naturally assumed that it would be down at the local Novus Ordo parish. 
So I went down there, having sort of forgotten <laughs> forgotten about um, what I had what I had experienced in school. I went down there, and no, there was something wrong. It doesn't match the book, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. I thought there's something wrong in this parish. So I actually sort of went on this journey and tried all the different parishes and different type of masses, charismatic mass and this mass and that mass, this group and that group, youth masses, um, oh Antioch, all sorts of things. Pizza masses in there. <laughs> you name it, <laughs> fish and chip masses. Tried everything and nothing matched the book and I was really puzzled. It's interesting I, that one book had enough about the faith, because it is a great book, Yes, for you to be able to see that they didn't match and you knew that this is what you had to find. I had to find it's it. I loved it because I loved what I had in the book and I did not love what I was seeing Whoa. at the parishes. I thought mm. it was revolting. Very interesting. But I was also puzzled. I could not understand what is wrong with these people, what is wrong with the way that they're speaking about religion and the way they're acting out religion. I just couldn't put my finger on it until one day I managed to read a book um, called The Catechism of Modernism. Right. And I think it was actually Pashendi that was written in a oh, sort of simple, right. simpler format. Right. It was basically Pashendi. And the scales dropped. Mm. That answers it. It's wow. modernism. Mm. And it's taken hold. It's it's everywhere. Yes. It's modernism. That's the that's what I couldn't put my finger on what the problem was. Wow. But I still didn't know where to turn or what to do. And in the meantime, I kept trying along to find something. And I stumbled into a Legion of Mary meeting in the modern church. And they got down on the knees and started reciting these very long, 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 long prayers, which I thought would never end. And, of course, that was the, the rosary. rosary. It was the rosary. Well, good on them, at least they're saying the rosary. <laughs> well, it's my folks' experience of, of the rosary. I think we said it at your Yeah, you, you guys must have thought we were and weird. We Gosh, this is long. And people are just <laughs> not used to kneeling down for that oh, long. Gosh, that's a real shock. Exactly, that's right. Well, that uh, the rosary was a very big grace in my life, and so was actually the Legion of Mary, which still had quite a bit of traditional Catholicism in there. They hadn't you know, been too corrupt. They had tried to modernise it, but there was still some in there. And when I was in the Legion of Mary it was, and starting to say the rosary, it was honestly like a veil was torn back. Wow. And I saw the world in a different light. That's a lady of Fatima, the power of the rosary. Like, yes. There you go. Exactly. And it's so true. At the same time, I was also venturing into some pro life apostolates. But I found that old problem of modernism was cropping up in these apostolates, even though they were good of themselves, but there were still problems in were there. Were they attached to the Nervous Auto? <clears throat> they were indeed. Well, of course, it's going to happen. And one of the problems with the pro-life organisations, of course, is they believe, oh, all these aborted babies are going up to heaven. This is what they're What's teaching What's the now. point of why are they objecting then? Exactly. That's actually a good answer. I outcome. mean, like, wouldn't you be thinking this is great? If that's true, yes. isn't that just a bonus? Let's, let's, yeah. let's cut out the middleman of this life. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's it's insane. That's, well, that, they, they attribute that to anti-Pope John Paul II. Oh. And this is very difficult to work with. Another abomination of his. How can you talk someone out of having an abortion when you're at the same time telling them their baby's going to go straight up to heaven? It's well, just so you're undermining your own cause. It's insane. And they would have these um, rosaries that they would say in the front of the uh, abortion clinics, which is a good witness and it does 
you know, have its purpose, but they would try to, for example, the modernism crept in, in the rosary and they would bring in the uh, Stubbert Mater hymn, but they would sing those very mournful, sad words to a Christmassy tune. Oh, my gosh. And it was just impious. And oh, I just my couldn't, gosh. I just couldn't stand it. And they put up posters of a bare-chested man holding a baby. And oh. this is, again, the... the, the more the, and more imp- modernism. The impurity coming yes. in. Yes. To the, I mean, impurity is the root cause of abortion. Yes. So the whole thing, everything in the Novus Ordo, even their apostolates that are good of themselves, are undermined oh, by the modernism yes. and by the rot. That's right. So I still wasn't happy. I was still searching. But during that pro-life phase, I went to a meeting and I was giving a talk at some other meeting and actually a man came up to me after the meeting and said, oh, well, I admired your talk and so forth and that was good. And then he said that he was actually a sadovacantist. And I asked him a little bit about that and basically he said to me, the reason that you're going around in the church and you're confused and you can't figure out why is the Pope allowing all these bad things and why aren't the bishops stopping it, he said you're confused because you don't understand that that is not the true shepherd. Well, it was very kind of him to, to, to do that. And that actually made sense to me. He said, I'm not confused. It makes perfect sense. Well, Once it, you understand yes, that is not the it true shepherd. all makes sense. It all makes sense. But it doesn't ever make sense until you get But at that time... Wow. I wasn't ready for that. I was yes. thinking I would find the faith that I found in that old book under the structure of the notes. I thought a lot of it had gone bad, but I thought it must be still there somewhere. Yes. I wasn't ready to take that conclusion and I wasn't theologically ready. I hadn't done enough reading. So on I travelled and I was playing um, a game of, um, I was in a Protestant volleyball league playing on the Catholic team with the, <laughs> the, the Nova Sordo ones, yes. <laughs> and I met a young fellow there who seemed quite pious compared to the average Joe that you meet. And I said to him, well, where do you go to Mass? And he said he attended a Latin Mass. And I was taken aback because I'd heard of the Charismatic Mass and all those other types of Masses, but never had I heard of a Latin Mass. Really? So I asked him where it was on and I went along to this Mass and my jaw dropped the mass yeah. matched that oh. original spiritual book. The mm, faith expressed course. in the mass matched the faith expressed in that book, and I knew I was onto something. And I was so pleased. And you know, um, I also at that Latin mass, which happened to be an indult mass, but they are saying the Catholic prayers. It's got the proper liturgical prayers. The proper liturgical prayers. I met somebody there who sold me a copy of Peter Lovest Thou Me. Oh yes. And that opened my eyes as to why the Pope wasn't stopping all these uh, what were called abuses and the liturgical abuses and so forth because he was actually doing them himself. Yes. So this was another And that, that dispelled the fallacy of the corruption's all over there but it doesn't go to the top and he's, his hands are tied, the poor Pope, he can't control what's yes. going on. He doesn't like all this stuff, they're all rebelling, what can we do? So that explained all that, didn't it? But that's that's not the case. They are, in fact, all the Novus Ordo parishes are actually very loyally putting into practice the modernism taught to them at Vatican II. They are actually doing lockstep exactly what the Pope wants. And the minute they don't, the minute they do become slightly traditional, that's when they get shut down. 
we can see that. You could see who they consider the enemy then. Exactly. It, it makes sense it's now. The facade of traditionalism as soon as they start getting the spirit of traditionalism. Yes. We can have the we can have the, the facade, yes. but let's not let them have the, the guts of it. That's exactly right. So, because I was in the Latin mass uh, circles now, I was starting to meet a few people who were cross pollinating between the indult masses and the uh, recognize and resist camp. Right. And one of them invited me to a recognize and resist retreat. Okay. And I decided I'd give it a go. And that was an Ignatian retreat, which was another giant leap forward in the faith, a giant leap forward in understanding. And what what is Catholic remains Catholic and good, and it does its job. Yes, so that would have been like a total change, wasn't it? That was a new beginning. That was really a great grace in my life at that point, which I thank God for. So I was so impressed with that retreat. I did give a lot of the credit to the R&R crowd which I shouldn't have, but I did, and I started attending their parish, thinking that at last I have found what I've been looking for for actually about 11 years. But as soon as I entered that parish, I found immediate problems and immediate troubles. And what I found was when I went in there, having been brought up in feminism and had a, and I was a career woman at the time and I was, you know, still learning a lot about and faith, I was going extremely. into that environment, I think it didn't bode well that a confident... Oh, okay. uh, Someone who can think for themselves as well. ...person coming mm. in and sort of tapping on the table saying, really, you must be following the Legion of Mary rules. You can't be cutting corners and, you yes. know, and I think I fell out of favour because right. of... Um, you went against the grain a bit with that. Uh, just just um, standing up a little bit, whereas a lot of the R&R crowd tend to keep their heads down and, and they're told yes. what to say and what to think. Yes, they just, just, just roll over and be quiet. But the second you start work. questioning why are you changing the rubric. You, you spent your whole life searching for that truth. So you're yes. not going to stop once you get to the SSBX. I guess that's true. That's right. The other thing I noticed in that position was that the charity was lacking to put it bluntly, people were being bullied out of the parish left, right and centre. That's very interesting because you can have the faith, you can know your catechism perfectly, know it all, but you must go back to what St Francis of Assisi said and it's preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Mm. So our example is probably the most important thing. So if you're experiencing people who are claiming to be Catholic but they're actually not even living basic Christian charity, charity, it's going to just be devastating because you're going to see that there is a contradiction here. Yes, Yes. contradiction. And also from my Legion of Mary eyes, and we are taught in the Legion that every soul is of inestimable value and that every soul has to be, you know, is worth a lifetime of works effort to bring that soul to salvation. And yet I could see that not only were lay people being drummed out of the parish for whatever reason they find centre, but also even some of their nuns were being bullied and even some of the priests, one of the priests was being bullied by another priest until he actually left the priesthood. So I could see this going on. I could see that there wasn't an interest in apostolic action I couldn't see any interest in helping the poor and also, of course, the theological contradictions. Oh, well, that's the big one. That were coming up in the, um, in the sermons. And I just found that 
the more I was there, the more I saw, and without going into details, I would just sum up what I found in the R&R camp was really behaviour more appropriate to communist agents than to Catholic clergy. Very telling. Very mm. telling. And I found it can be very, very damaging to a lot of people's spiritual lives. And without the true faith, there can be ministers of despair. You don't have that firm grounding of either going along with the modern Pope and everything he says. very interesting. Or not going along with him and fighting against it. And I, I think a lot of people who've been in this camp will know somebody they would resonate with them and yes. they would know people who've been bullied out or who've, who've suffered from this despair. Um, I think they would. But there may be people like yourself who say, well, I've been there and I didn't notice anything. But I just want to... I was to... there for like a year, though. Yes. <laughs> I was like 20. But even so. some people who've been there longer say, oh, I never I never noticed any of that bullying or I never noticed anything. Well, it's very much a, a theme of we don't want you to think... Which is yes. that's against um, Saint Pius the Tenth. You know, he says, "Know your faith. Know your faith. Understand yes. it, because there won't be walls and shoes." I clothes. guess the ones yes. who start to show that they are thinking are the ones who get targeted with this Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Well, and if you're just the good little sheeple going along and just towing the party line, they're just going to leave you alone. Remember the Restoration Radio um, show. Confessions of a Novus Oh, that was area. fascinating. It's a bit horrifying. Yeah, it was, but, <laughs> it was but when he got to the Cone Seminary, oh yeah, the similar thing. The book you mentioned, Peter Lovest Thou Me, you made a reference to the author of that book being mm-hmm. one of the other ones who was shoveled aside at the same time that he was told yeah. to exit stage left. So let's go back to what Louise is saying. That um, I think, yes, there's a lot of people in that R&R crowds who are lending credence to them by sitting in their pews and giving them money. That's true. And the R&R crowd may well be happy with that contribution, but there's always going to be other people who are going to be the victims, just like you would find in any cult. You can't victimise every single person. Well, cult wouldn't last long. That's right. But there'll always be some, and people need to realise that that is going on. It's a very... They're actually aiding and abetting. They are. The cult masters. They are. But most of them are unwitting and they wouldn't have a clue. That's right. I think most generally want to attend Mass, lead a good Catholic Yes. Yes. Keep their head down. True. Well, because of all this horror that I found there, I was very dissatisfied with what I'd seen. I started wandering again, thinking I still haven't found that faith. And you were right. You haven't. And I hadn't found it. But I still didn't know where to go, so I sort of dabbled in back in the indult. I went to ancient oriental rites. I went to the Ukrainian rite. I still found problems everywhere I st- and I found really shocking spiritual dead zones that just didn't have that piety or any it's good a scripture. <laughs> yeah. smiling at it. yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I discovered so I, I kept looking but along those travels I met my husband and that was a good thing he was similar to me he was oh, I'm glad that off. you said that because if you might listen to this <laughs> I met him there it was all for a purpose and he was also wandering and trying different things out and reading and trying to piece it all together And he and I stumbled upon the final piece of the puzzle, which was Paul IV's bull, Cum Ex Apostolatio Officio. Yes. When we read that, we realised, there you go, it's in black and white, this is perfectly possible, it's been spoken about by a Pope. We know now that all the people who are saying this can never happen, this can never happen, they're wrong, it can happen, and if this isn't it, 
what is yes what would be an antipope if these are not antipopes exactly so that was the final piece for us and we decided no more dabbling in anything to do with the whole r&r group none of them we could go to any longer we realized there was no sativic cantus priest in our country but we knew that there was some overseas and you know we immediately started thinking we're going to have to move Mm. we did the same thing yes and it's a natural thing to do we yes. were keen to be in parish life again and, and to receive the sacraments. But we sent a priest who was in a neighbouring country an email and he sent an email back pretty promptly saying, do you know these other Sativacantus in your city, which we didn't know them um, by name? Because <laughs> we're all underground. <laughs> so we kidding. had seen them yeah. around. <laughs> and the amazing thing is, if my memory doesn't fail me, I think it was about roughly two weeks later that priest visited our country and amongst the other Sativacantus who had also contacted him, one of them had a home chapel set up that was a, that the priest was able to use to say Mass. One of them was knew how to serve Mass. One of them knew how to sing all the liturgical chants. So you got the sung Mass straight away. Sung Mass. It just was instant Mass. Instant Everybody mission. was there. We also had one of the a a man with a very deep baritone voice who would lead the rosary and it sounded so inspiring. It was just perfect. Everyone had their little role to play. Within two weeks. I believe it was two weeks. There you go. That's a message to everyone. Trust in God. You just follow your conscience, an informed conscience. Do what you know is right. Fear not the consequences and he will provide. That's, That's right. wonderful. Exactly. And God really looked after us. And from then on, we were having monthly mass. Wow. And even more than monthly, of course, we were getting some weekday mass. Oh, we could even five. stay for a week sometimes. Yes. And we would have mass every day for a week. So mm. that made up for... So technically you were going to mass more than a lot of people who have the option for daily mass are actually That's right. going. Mm. That's right. And not only that, he would reserve the Blessed Sacrament in this oh. home chapel, mm. and we were able to go on the Sundays when Father wasn't there and we would have our communal devotions and our hymns and the rosary. Mm. And so it was you, very much like parish life continued on. Yeah, it's, not only did it continue on, it just improved. It improved out of sight. We didn't have that contradiction. And like you had said earlier, Phil, we had that beautiful peace that we're not helping the modernists and we're not in a terrible sitting-on-the-fence mm. position We're following 100% the Catholic doctrine and here we are enjoying the whole fruit of that, if you like. The truth shall set you free. That is now where I've been for the last maybe five years and I've just been very, very content there, not having found all those problems that I had everywhere else. So it's just been absolutely fantastic. Thanks be to God for that. We continued on. Uh, We've had uh, five children. The thing we found was that this particular home chapel was in a country area. It was a difficult drive and it was a long way away. We were interested to have something in the city rather than trek up there on Sundays. And we'd asked uh, this good priest a few times, but he wasn't keen. He was happy with the status quo there and he had his reasons. From his perspective, you're just a newbie, just dropped in. Yes. He doesn't really know your stability and yes. longevity and everything else. He has to be careful. Wasn't like that on a donkey up a go track. It felt no. like it. You wouldn't want to break down. <laughs> I tell you what. What I did was, I'd, I even though I'd asked him a few times, eventually I decided, you know what? Even if we can't have the blessed sacrament in the city, it would be nice to have a room set up with an altar and a chapel 
like we had up in the country, but but have it down here. And maybe the other side of the cancer will come over into the city and have some devotions at other times, you know, and I thought it just might be nice. And I decided one day, despite the fact that we, we know we probably can't have Mass or the Blessed Sacrament, I'm just going to get on the internet on the secondhand websites and see what's out there. So this first and only time I got onto the local website and typed in traditional Catholic chapel, there's one for sale. Full, working, set up, traditional Catholic <laughs> chapel never for happens. sale. I could I never find it. these things. I so, wow, it. It was it's incredible. incredible. So it was meant to be. So, of course, I talked to my husband and prayed and oh, prayed. Gosh. Yeah. And we were able to purchase that chapel oh, and have it packed up and shipped up and sent to our home. And it's found and a much better home than probably yeah. where it was. And we, we, we set it up there. We had quite a large room that we weren't really using and the outfit of the room, it had the red carpet. It had more ornate fittings than any of the other rooms. It was like our formal lounge room. So wow. it just fitted in perfectly and beautifully. So it wasn't long after that when the bishop came out, wasn't it? That's right. Not long after, the bishop was coming to give confirmations to the children and father decided that he needed a slightly bigger room than the one we had up in the country and since our room was now set up with our beautiful chapel, he decided to have it at our house. Wow. So we just couldn't believe it. So, and our own children were being confirmed. So it was just a wonderful occasion. We had the bishop there, like you were saying before, mm-hmm. Teresa, to actually have the bishop stay and have a meal with us and speak with us. And, you know, he was such a lovely, such humble a privilege. man. Yes. yes. And really inspired us with his whole persona. So from that day, Father did start to use our chapel and was saying Mass there regularly and left us the Blessed Sacrament. So, so that's wonderful. That is wonderful. So you ended up not only hosting Masses in your home, confirmations, yes. having your children confirmed as well, Yes, but you also have the honour and the privilege of housing the Blessed Sacrament in your home chapel. I mean, how conducive to prayer is that? It's and just how, amazing. How inspiring for your children. You know? Yes. And it, it was just fantastic. So we now had all these huge blessings, but at the bottom line, we had that beautiful peace of knowing the true faith and the true position in this whole crisis that it's all worked out now we know. And there's no more tossing about wondering, oh, should we be in communion with the bondess or should we keep on rejecting the authority of hang on, a true Pope? Why would our Lord make the papacy as that centre of unity and authority for the church? But hang on, it's useless. It can't actually achieve those ends and we need SSPX or other types of groups to jump up and tell us where this institution of our Lord is going wrong. The whole thing didn't make sense, but now we've got that actual unity that we read about in the Holy Books, the unity of the Sedefacantists all around the world who are united in faith, they're united in worship, and they're united in the government from the existing 1917 Code of Canon Law. And we have that deposit of faith. No other position in this crisis can claim that. See, no. that's the thing is Sedefacantists, often people think, see them as, as like a different sect or whatever, but they're not, they've just formed a view and they're, they're true Catholics. That's all we are. We want all because we believe what it's all or nothing. It's, it's a right. faith. It's just truth. And we just want it all. And only the truth is complete. And mm. without all of it, you you can't have just a part of the faith. You've yeah. also been having masses in your home. And it's- yes. Yes, similarly, we actually have been having masses in our home since 1997. 
but not regularly, like until about 12 years ago when we moved across to this other side of the country. So our mass group now fluctuates between about 50 and 70 attendees. Wow. Yes, it's grown a lot and we were thinking it's possible. We wanted to, you know, thinking ahead. So when we were looking to buy a house here, we had to ensure that it had at least one huge room that we could set up for the mass chapel. And you didn't know at the time that we were having 50 or 70? No, actually at the time, do you know, we were the only family in addition to one other who were just in this mission situation. Within six months, we had other families who were going to SXPX but weren't quite sure about everything. But then within a short time, one of them spoke to one of the priests that came out here Bang, they stopped going. Another person just within no time we just grew. Now we're trying to fit 70 people in there sometimes and we're squeezing out the doors and taking over the cry room area. But and it's the, only going to grow faster and faster. But the house that you, you bought that God provided to you is big enough. It, it was. Yes. It works. Yes. It works. So it's God <laughs> saw ahead, of course. Yes. You didn't see. No. And that's like, oh, yes, yes, no, no. It's like your speech to be yay or nay. But, <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it, it was amazing because, we, you know, you do, you look at lots of houses and you're not quite sure. And it's actually, Phil was a hugely providential way that we, we even found this house. And what's interesting is we started hunting in January when we found out we were moving and who's the first saint I asked? Of course, St. Anthony. And he made me wait till his feast day. It was June yeah. 13th. Uh-huh. And the moral of the story is pick a saint whose feast day is a lot closer than when you want to find your house. <laughs> so similar to you, Louise, well, I bet you didn't expect the day would come when you would be hosting masses and confessions and confirmations in your own home. I absolutely did not dream of it. No. There we go. We went from nothing to everything. It's similar to us. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting as well as actually you're competing with me for the best collection this side of the black stump (laughs) of um, like Roman vestments and altar linens. In fact, (laughs) oh, man, all my sewing now is altar linens. (laughs) And all the rings and rings of Irish linen. It's pretty funny as well that along with the general household requirements on our eBay watch list, We've got things like, you know, altar stones, priest vestments. And actually, I call it one time when we were getting together for benediction. I was looking for benediction candelabras and durables. And of course, don't forget the truckloads of beeswax candles we've got to order over the internet. Oh, yes, spot on. On that note, we've run out of time for today's show. So our listeners will have to wait until next month to hear the rest of our chat. As we close out this episode, we have covered some of Louise and Phil's adventures. And I want to thank you, Louise and Phil, for your time and being with us on this episode. Is there anything you would like to add in summary before we close out our episode? I don't think so, Teresa. I think we've, I've enjoyed sharing the uh, story and I'm looking forward to next month's show. I hope our conversion stories encourage our listeners in some way and make sure not to miss the rest of our chats in part two. Well, once again, Louise and Phil, thank you for your time and we will talk to you again next month as we continue this series. God bless you. If you have any questions for Louise or Phil or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Louise and Phil. And we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found this show to be informative, helpful or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, 
that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who helped make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.